This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. On today's episode, we're talking with Jill Coleman of Jill Fit. Jill began her fitness career at the age of 15 with a job in the fitness center nursery so she could take step aerobics classes for free. She shortly after that started lifting weights and saw her body magically change with resistance training. By the time she was 24, she was doing her first figure competition and she won her first show and found herself hooked. She was addicted to the process and addicted to the high of seeing if she could be better than everyone else. But unfortunately, she also became addicted to being in show shape which started to seriously mess with her head after a while. After a few years, her diets and meal plans simply stopped working. Her metabolism became unresponsive. She kept falling off the wagon and she felt this overall sense of poor discipline, laziness, and weakness. She also felt shame that she couldn't stick with the programs that she was giving her own clients and embarrassed that she was getting fat in her off season when she felt like the normal standard was to stay fit, lean, and healthy year round. So eventually she gave up the mind games and stopped spinning her wheels around dieting. She threw her hands up and decided that she needed to find a new, healthier way. She wanted to stop yo-yo dieting. She wanted to stop gaining and losing the same 20 pounds over and over again. And so in 2011, she started Jill Fit. And she finally had the courage to try a new, more moderate way of doing things. She stopped being obsessive about food prep. She quit relentless meal plan following. And she started looking inward to trust herself a little bit more. She was able to stop living in black and white and start living a little more in the gray area. She cut out negative self-talk and she cut out the all or nothing eating systems that she had been following in the past. No more hard and fast rules. The outcome for her was 
completely effective and completely liberating. And now it's her mission and passion to teach other women how to break these obsessive food cycles. Since 2012, Jill Fit has morphed into a lifestyle company, helping women become freer, smarter, happier, and more effective. So I have to tell you, I am such a fan of Jill's and I'm super pumped to have her on the show today. We recently did our episode about stalking and how to become a better stalker. And Jill is totally someone I have been stalking for a while now. So in addition to being able to identify and relate to so much of what she says on a personal level, I also find that as a fitness professional, I am able to use her information and share it with my clients. I'm constantly telling people, just go follow Jill Fit. Just go see what she says because she constantly posts stuff where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like she lives in my head. So in addition to just having such a great mindset around food that I find to be so powerful and freeing, she also kind of has her own vernacular, which I love. She has all these words and phrases that I wish I had coined myself because they're so brilliant and they're so great in terms of being able to have a healthier relationship with food and really identify what it is that you're doing with new habits. So you're going to get to learn some new terminology around food habits today, which will be really cool. And I think you're also going to learn how to start building a healthier relationship with your own food habits and the way food fits into your lifestyle because we all have a relationship with food. And for many women, it's a really, really, challenging thing. So I'm delighted to have Jill here to talk about her experience. And I know we're going to be able to dig deep around some of these issues. So let's dive right in. Jill Coleman, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thanks so much. And I love the name, by the way, of oh. your podcast. So very cool. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad to have you because we actually just recently had an episode about stalking and how it is one of my superpowers. And <laughs> it's no secret that I stalk you and have followed your stuff really closely, especially in the last couple of years. And part of the reason that came about is because after I had my son, I found myself, I'd been in the fitness industry for quite a while and was mentored by many men, which was great up until I became a mom. And then I was like, I can't deal with the bros anymore. <laughs> I need a woman with a different perspective. And I started following a handful of women online. You were one of them. Aaron Brown was another. And people who just really, really started to shift how I saw my relationship with food and with my body after having a baby and being okay with things being different than they used to be. So I just have to tell you that I owe you a debt of gratitude for helping me in that transition because it was rough. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Yeah, it's funny, right? I think the majority, probably like 90% of the stuff that I put out on JillFit is really for me. It's like kind of selfish. I'm just like, you know what? I'm working through this thing and I'm going to work through it like kind of in real time with an audience. And I think one of my favorite things to say is that there are no new stories. And so there's always someone who's going to have the same kind of thing, maybe different circumstances, but look, we're all the same. And a lot of us have these same triggers when it comes to nutrition, body image. And I think there's a lot of shame because we think that we're the only ones going through it. And so to hear you say that really makes me really happy. It's awesome. That's the whole point of the brand and the Good. content. Good. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that the stuff you put online is helpful to you because I feel like the podcast, like me recording myself talking is my therapy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, hopefully some other people benefit from it, but it benefits <laughs> me a ton. So we'll just go with that. So, yeah, of course. So let's go ahead. I want to dive in and talk a little bit in your bio. I talked a little bit about your history with bodybuilding and your relationship with food, but I want to go a little deeper and talk about in the last five to 10 years, what are the extremes that you have seen your body or yourself go through in terms of the mentality around food and your relationship with food? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So I guess for me, I've always been athletic, always kind of exercised so I could eat whatever I wanted. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to nutrition up until I did my first competition. So up until I was about 24 years old, up until then, it was just like, I love exercise. I was teaching two, three classes a day, sometimes fitness classes, personal training, just loved fitness, didn't pay attention to what I put in my mouth, just kind of wanted to exercise so I could eat. And then when I did my first show, it was the first time I really started paying attention to nutrition saw my body change, lost about 20 pounds during that process. I probably dieted for about 16 weeks and dropped a massive amount of weight very quickly and loved it. Like really, if I'm being honest, the vain part of me really (laughs) loved the fact that I was like, wow, I didn't realize what I put in my mouth could actually affect how I look. And I got kind of addicted to it. After my first show, I gained back 15 of those pounds within two weeks. Oh my gosh. And that was like, I just wasn't expecting it. I know it sounds so strange to think like, of course, but like I wasn't in the place that I'm now. I wasn't in the nutrition world. I wasn't in the nutrition community and I wasn't even really in the bodybuilding community yet. So the idea of a rebound was like, I just didn't even think about it. I know it sounds strange, but so that was really kind of devastating. And not a lot of people talk about that, but we see people, whether you're competing or not, these kind of drastic weight loss diets. Maybe you're getting ready to, for your wedding, you're getting ready for a vacation, you're getting ready for summer, whatever it is. We have these kind of deadlines in our mind. And when we see our body change like that, it becomes addictive. So after I gained the weight back, I was like, what am I? Where are the compliments? Why aren't people saying I look good anymore, right? I was addicted to that affirmation. And I think women go down that path when they start to get comments like, you've lost weight or you look really toned or you, you know, and we like that. And so when those go away, you feel like, what am I now, chopped liver? And that becomes it. So my solution was to go on another diet. And so it went like that way for about five or six years. I did show after show after show, and I would gain and lose about the same 20 pounds every single time. But what I noticed towards the end is my body wasn't responding the same way anymore. It's having to do more cardio to see the same results. I wasn't looking as tight. I wasn't looking as lean. And so while I was never overweight per se, I was always like very fit. I felt in those times that I had gained back that weight, I felt really fat. I felt really worthless. I felt really weak because I couldn't stay on a diet plan. And I went through a series of shows and a series of photo shoots for about nine months and I was dieting really hard. And at the end of that, I didn't have anything else planned. I had no shows. I had no shoots. And that was a moment of like, okay, I don't have anything planned. I really have to figure this out long term. And that was so scary to me. The idea of not having a deadline by which I would have to get up on stage or like something to keep me accountable was terrifying. Was that that intentional? Like, did you intentionally decide you weren't going to do shows anymore? Or was it just a timing thing? No, that's a great question. And it was intentional because I was noticing that my body wasn't responding as much anymore. So it was taking more and more. At this point, I was doing two, three hours of cardio a day. Oh my gosh. It was just like, and I was so disgusted with my food that I was eating out of Tupperwares. I wasn't spending time with my friends and family. And I was like, this is not working for me. And I had this moment of like, and you know, we can go down the rabbit hole of like, well, other people can do it. Why can't I? I went through all of that. Then I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. Good luck to these people. And I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I had to have this mindset shift of like, I actually pity people. (laughs) I know it sounds so like bad to say, but at the moment, at the time I needed to say this, which to myself, which was I kind of pity people who eat out of Tupperwares and bring them to a restaurant and eat soggy asparagus out of plastic bags. (laughs) But a family functions like I had to, even though I didn't quite believe it yet, I was still like, Ooh, but they look really good. Like, you know, I still had this going on. But I had to adopt that mindset, at least at the beginning, to get on board with a new way and trust myself to do a more moderate approach. And it was really scary because I didn't trust myself, right? I was like, oh, if I have even around chips, I'm going to eat them off. I'm even around cookies. I can't help myself. And then I was just like, that's just a story I'm telling myself. I have to figure this out. Right. 
So out of that did evolve your whole concept of moderation 365. And so I want you to talk about what that is and also talk about, were you able to quickly shift into that or was it a significant process? This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Yeah, it took a long time, actually. It took about three years from start to finish, because here's how it started. So when you think about someone coming from like an all or nothing approach, I was very much all or nothing. If I was getting ready for a show, I had a very specific meal plan I was following. And if I didn't follow it, I wasn't good enough. It was just like, how come other people can follow their meal plans? And I can't, I felt very, a lot of shame around that. But then when I wasn't following a plan, it was a free for all. I was eating whatever I wanted. 
And so it was like, if you can't be perfect, then you might as well be way off. That was my mentality. If I'm going to be even a little bit off the plan, then, well, I'm just going to go all in. And so I had this very back and forth. I'll start again on Monday. Every week, it was the exact same. I'll start again on Monday. By Thursday night, I was like pounding cookies and eating whatever I wanted all weekend long. I'll start back on Monday. And I did that week after week after week. And so for me, the shift came from, I'm going to have a couple of things that aren't on my plan. And I'm going to not let it derail me. And it wasn't like I'm going to have cookies, I'm going to have cake, and I'm going to have those things. It was like, I'll have a protein bar. Like it was literally that (laughs) crazy, right? Because if I'm getting ready for a show, I can't have things like nuts and fruit and protein bars and protein shakes and these prepackaged foods, right? So it started with like little things that you and I probably wouldn't even consider bad for you. Obviously, protein bars aren't unhealthy, but they weren't on a perfect meal plan. They weren't on a show diet. So I started with things like I'll have a protein bar every day and I'll have a little bit of cheese on my salad, like very small things that I would never have given myself. So I call them nutritional gimmies. I would never have had those things if I was quote on plan before. Sounds so crazy, but that's like the super rigid. So I started with things like that and then it it morphed into, well, I'm going to have some bacon and then I'll have some dark chocolate, right? That's healthy. Then I'll have like one single glass of red wine. And like, so it went down and over time I adopted a way of eating where I call them uh, preemptive cheats. They're things that aren't like typically considered like balls out, I call them balls out cheats, things like like (laughs) cookies and cupcakes and donuts and stuff. Because we all know that like we really shouldn't be eating that doesn't mean that you can't. But I call preemptive cheats things that are satisfying to you, but aren't like all the way gross junk food. You know what I mean? So things like literally like having bacon every day, like what's the big deal? If it keeps you from eating more and worse stuff later, have a single glass of red wine, have two glasses of red wine. It's not the end of the world. So inputting these preemptive cheats in my week helped me stay on track seven days a week instead of just four. So for me, having a glass of wine on a Monday night, gasp, helped me, <laughs> helped me eat better on Friday. And so, cause meals don't happen in isolation, right? We get to Friday, we feel deprived. We're going to eat whatever we want. We're going to eat to our heart's desire versus if we get to Friday and we've kind of been giving ourselves these little nutritional gimmies throughout the week, we're probably going to feel a lot more in control. I love that. So the concept of preemptive cheats, I think is brilliant. And I also think there's so much decision fatigue around food that when you allow for the preemptive cheats, it takes away some of that decision fatigue so that you're not spending a lot of time and energy on tiny little things that ultimately are going to exhaust you to the point of derailing you. Um, And that's what I think the brilliance is. Like you said, have the glass of wine on Monday because then you're probably not going to have seven glasses of wine on Friday. So I love that concept. And that's something that I know when I do transformation programs in my gym here in Seattle, I used to be much more rigid about how I would structure the food plan for people. And because I saw people exactly what you're talking about being on plan when we were all together as a group. And then when the program would end, they would just go off the rails. And I saw that not being sustainable. And so we've started building this concept of preemptive cheats and letting people kind of pick and choose like throughout the week, I do want you to have some treats and make sure that those are built in. And it's crazy how many people like they want to white knuckle it through a program (laughs) because they feel like it adds value to their success in the program. Just to be able to say that, like, I didn't have any alcohol for four weeks or I didn't have any sugar for four weeks. And I'm constantly like, have the damn treat meal. Like you have to have something because this isn't about like saying I went, you know, 32 days without alcohol. This is about saying I can actually do this for three more years. Exactly. I mean, and that's been kind of like my beef with things like 21 day detoxes and seven day cleanses. I'm like, what happens on day eight? Right? Right. Like, 
we know that. Again, it's a mindset shift, Sarah. I think a lot of people aren't quite ready for it yet because it's so ingrained. Look at everything that's online as like a 90-day challenge, right? I mean, these 90-day challenges are everywhere and yeah. they're irresistible because people like the idea of committing for a finite amount of time. It feels doable. If I just said to you like, hey, Sarah, I just want to teach you how to eat healthy forever. Like there's just not <laughs> a lot of people don't get excited about that, right? So when I talk about moderation, I'm just like, it feels like wah, wah, wah. Like, it just doesn't <laughs> feel exciting. Or So the idea behind Moderation 365 is to actually make the concept of eating more balanced, like kind of sexy again. Because right. obviously like moderation has been around forever, but I don't know about you, but when I was back when I was dieting really hard. If someone was like, just eat moderately, I'd be like, uh, yeah, no, you eat moderately. I know what I'm doing. Like there was just this connotation of it's not hardcore enough. It's not good enough. It's like failure. If I'm eating moderately, I'm letting myself off the hook. It's for my grandmother. You know what I mean? It had all these kind of negative connotations and it was kind of just, it didn't have any traction in my mind. It wasn't a sticky concept. So the idea of moderation 365 is creating a concept that people can get on board with a, a kind of a movement and then backing up the movement with these tools, these actionable steps that people can do like preemptive cheats and going like, okay, this is what it looks like. This is what a moderate 365 meal plan quote looks like and giving yourself these little nutritional gamies so that you can stay on track. But ultimately it's a mindset shift. You have to feel like it's good enough. Right. And the mindset shift, I think with all of it is you have to come from a place of privilege versus punishment. And so when you beat yourself up over food, you will continue to beat yourself up over food. So if you can start to shift that into positively reinforce your mindset and let your habits reinforce your mindset, that makes a huge difference so that you can say like, oh, you know, I only had like one cookie and that was fantastic. Or I only had one handful of chips versus the whole bag or mindlessly eating out of the bag. And that's huge progress versus beating yourself up over having any chips at all. Yeah. You know, I've thought about that concept a lot. Like the whole idea, because I did that for obviously I did that for many years and I've thought about the concept of like, why do we hang on to guilt and shame mm -hmm. and remorse? And like, why do we hang on to these things? I really think it's because we think it has utility. Like, I think we think if we don't feel guilty, that we're going to really go off the rails. I know for me, it didn't feel comfortable not feeling guilty. Like Monday morning, I woke up and I felt bloated. I felt disgusting. I was so mad at myself. I literally remember saying, what, Jill, you're so weak. You can't go one day without a treat. Like I remember saying that to myself. And on some level, I feel like I needed it to keep me on track. If I didn't have it, I would go off the rails. And interestingly, we're talking about like kind of self-compassion and not going to that space. Research has shown that self-compassion actually, it's actually a compliance tool. It makes you stay more on track because you can wake up the next day and be like, you know what? I it wasn't great last night, but what can I learn from it? And I also have an opportunity today. And that's a huge mindset shift. So giving up the need for shame and remorse and utility and really believing that's a trust thing, right? Giving up the control of I need to feel shame or else I'm not, it's not good enough and releasing that need and instead trusting yourself to go, okay, well, what can I learn from that experience? Oh, maybe I didn't have enough protein yesterday. Or did I feel like I needed a reward? Why was that? Did I not have enough preemptive cheats during the week? What was my mindset when I was kind of just binging and pretending it wasn't happening? What was going on? What was the trigger? Am I stressed out? Am I not getting enough sleep? Am I not eating enough protein and vegetables? Do I not like my food during the week enough? So all of these kind of things, it's about getting curious and it's about instead looking at it like, okay, what can I learn here? And that's a mindset shift instead of just like blindly pretending it didn't happen, beating yourself up and trying to do the same thing. I mean, that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? <laughs> totally. And I love what you said about it's, we pass so much judgment on ourselves and we think it's all about willpower and it's not about willpower. And so like you said, it's generally like a lack of sleep, a lack of protein, a lack of fat, 
maybe a lack of water or just overall stress in your life, like those are the things that tend to lead people to binging or lead people to find it harder to make a positive food choice. It's not just like you can't white knuckle your way through a situation. And most people think that it is like, oh, I just didn't have enough willpower to not eat the donut. So I think that you make such a good point that we have to not beat ourselves up, but look deeper into why did I do that? Or why was that tempting? Or why did that feel right at that time? Rather than like, I'm bad because I did it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think that anyone has like more willpower than the next person. People always say, you are so, and believe me, and it's funny because I talk about like, oh, having one cookie or having like a couple handfuls of chips, people always say, I could never do that. And that was exactly me. That was exactly me. Mm -hmm. So when people said to me, I would just say, you know what? You don't understand. I have a huge appetite or, you know, I can't control myself around that food or I just can't be around that food. That was always the thing I said until I was like, maybe I can, maybe there is. And I practiced. So for example, if I was really scared of having like ice cream around, right. And I think a lot of people are like, well, just get it out of the house. And I think that's fine. I think it's like kind of a 1.0 solution, but what about eventually when you're around ice cream again, don't you want to be able to handle it? So what I do in my food obsession bootcamp is I actually have like exposure therapy, like that thing you're the most scared of being around. I actually want you to have it around and I want you to watch yourself. It's a practice in mindfulness, isn't it? I want you to have it around and I want you to just watch yourself. What's going on in your mind when you go to it? So like, how are you feeling in that moment? And look, you're not going to get it the first week. You're not going to get it the second week. You're not going to get it the next month. It's going to take time and practice. But think about it. If you were like, my brother is, and you can tell me if we're getting off topic, but (laughs) my brother is like, loves movie theater popcorn. And he was like, Jill, I don't know. I mean, I just have to eat like a large every time I go. And I was like, what if every night I gave you permission to have a large movie theater popcorn, like delivered to your house? I was like, probably the first week you would eat it all every single night. Then maybe what would happen the second week? Maybe you'd have it like most nights the second week. Then the third week you'd be like, ah, maybe you'd have it like one or two nights, but you're like, I'm actually, I don't really want this anymore. So that's the idea behind it is that you don't just be around it and then able to control yourself, right? That's not what it is. It's about exposing yourself to those foods. So they lose their illicitness or they lose their urgency. Right. And so it's really about that. And that takes practice and takes time. And so in our kind of immediate gratification way of doing things, it's not always the sexiest to talk about like balance and moderation and it takes time and practice. But I can tell you from my experience and working with literally thousands of women in this practice that it doesn't happen right away. But six months later, you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm more mindful. When did that happen? That's how it tends to work. And I think they're also, you start to move past that place of food scarcity where like when I was pregnant, I was like, well, I'm pregnant, so I should eat some donuts. And (laughs) like, it was just something that I just, I love donuts, but I never ate donuts in my quote unquote real life. And then I got pregnant and I was like, I should definitely eat donuts and I should definitely, (laughs) and also I should definitely eat some Kraft macaroni and cheese, both of which made me feel horrendous. And I had like the first donut and I was probably early in my pregnancy and I got a headache immediately. And so then I was like, well, I should probably try it again. So like three different (laughs) times I went and got donuts and every time I felt horrible. And then I got the Kraft macaroni and cheese and it was the same thing. Like afterwards I was like, I do not feel good. And I could try it. And then I was like, this is not rewarding. And so I think that I did that as a part of pregnancy because I felt like it was a chance to do those kinds of things. But I think in real life, we see situations where you're like, well, this is the opportunity to do this and it might never present itself again. So I have to go for it. And in yeah. reality, it's like the donuts will always be there and Kraft macaroni and cheese isn't going anywhere anytime yep. soon. So- it's so funny when it's like, you know, a lot of these mental constructs were actually not. So like you even having the awareness of you even doing that is huge, right? Most people aren't, they're just like, they're just doing it and going, well, that's just the way it is. Cause we're conditioned in a certain way. So like the idea that you 
even have to stop and think about, am I having a scarcity mindset right now? Like no one's <laughs> saying that. No one's going around, especially the people I talk to. They're just like, I don't know why I eat it before I know it. It's in my mouth. Like right. no one's actually thinking about these constructs. And so of course my goal at Jill Fit is just to start having these conversations so that when people read my stuff, they're like, huh, yeah, that has happened to me. What is that? There's like an insight there. There's a curiosity there. That's how you start the conversation around mindfulness because no one's doing it automatically. People don't go, oh, I should be more mindful. Like no one's actually saying that. So I love that you had that insight. And then you were like, so we can know it, but practicing it right in real life is also, we can know it intellectually, but actually being able to do it is a practice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's funny because I think that you've coined so many terms and you have your own like food vocabulary, which I love. It's so funny. I do feel like, as I mentioned in your intro, I feel like you're in my head sometimes when I'm reading your stuff, because exactly like you just said, I'm reading something in yours and I'm like, Oh, that is exactly what I do. I didn't even know it. Damn it. Mm -hmm. I know, but it's, you know, it's good. It's just an awareness piece where you go like, okay, once you have the awareness, then you can do something else. If you decide to, you don't have to, right. You're just like, you know, I like the way I do things. That's totally fine. My whole thing is just about having the awareness and then owning your choice. I think a lot of women feel very victimized by food mm-hmm. because they don't have the tools yet. Right. So they go like, well, I can't help it because I'm stressed out. And I'm not saying that they are not justified in their frustration, but if you don't want to be frustrated, there needs to be a certain level of ownership that needs to happen. And it doesn't have to be like eating perfectly, right? That's not right. the kind of ownership I'm talking about. I'm talking about just the awareness of what's going on and asking the questions. It's much easier to go out and get a 12-week meal plan from a coach. And I know because I used to sell them. It's really easy to go out and get like a strict meal plan from somebody. People just say, I mean, should I do to you too, Sarah? Tell me what to eat. I'll eat everything you say. And you and I both know that we can give those meal plans and those food lists all day long. But if the person can't implement it, doesn't work with their schedule, doesn't work with their personal preferences, the unique psychological sensitivities, their metabolism, they're not going to be able to do it. So the answer is helping people understand their own body and their own needs and desires and wants and goals and all of that stuff. And that takes a lot more work. It's not a very sexy sell, but that's ultimately the kind of solution that it's going to take. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And that's such a good point because it is so different for different people. And, And, you know, like 
you talk very openly about like wine being one of your frequent preemptive cheats. And yep. it's definitely one of mine too. But for other people, like they could care less about the wine. They want like the Sour Patch Kids or sugar, some sort of immediate yeah. sugar solution. And like, I could care less about that stuff. So it's so interesting from one person to the next. And we tend to want, like you said, look for the package of the program that is one size fits all or that is guaranteed results for everyone. And the truth is that there is nothing that can guarantee you results long term because what you want is going to be different than someone else. And what satisfies you is going to be different than what would satisfy someone else. So I would love to kind of jump right into satisfaction factors because yeah. this is something that has been so eye opening for me. So can you kind of share how you use satisfaction factors and what that concept is? Sure. So one of the questions that has come up so much for me and over the years is, Jill, I want to be able to eat moderately, but I don't know how. Like, I don't know how. Like, what's the first step? And so for me, satisfaction factor, hashtag, was the thing that came out of creating a tool to help people, what I call navigate the middle better. So for example, if most people that I work with anyway, do kind of ping pong back and forth from deprive binge, deprive, binge, deprive, binge, just like I did. I look at it like it's kind of, they work together, right? So every time you feel deprived, you're typically going to have an equal and opposite reaction into overindulging later, whether it's next week or next month or in 12 weeks. And so the idea is when you cut to the middle of those two things, I'm like making uh, hand gestures right now. On one side, <laughs> you have deprive. On the other side, you have overindulge. Most people ping pong back and forth. And the goal of moderation is to cut to the middle. And the only way you can cut to the middle is by finding a way to feel satisfied and take the edge off so that you don't feel deprived. Because deprivation is really where it begins. You think about it, for most people, they've usually can eat pretty, like fairly healthy up until a certain age. And then all of a sudden they go on their first diet. When they go on their first diet, that's when things kind of start to ping pong. The more deprived they feel, the more they overindulge later, the more they overindulge, the more they feel like they need to deprive because they need to do penance for their overindulging, whatever it is. So it's a trap. So cutting to the middle of that ping pong is where moderation lives. And the idea is if you take the edge off through feeling satisfied, you don't ever reach the point of feeling deprived. And so I use satisfaction factor as a tool to gauge on a scale from one to 10, how satisfying this meal is. So for example, I'll give you a quick example. A girl on Jill Fit, I don't know, maybe six months ago came on and was talking about how she overindulged a little bit on the weekend. And she said, you know, and so I just felt really great. I woke up this morning and I had egg whites and spinach for breakfast and I feel so good. I'm back on plan. So immediately, you know what I thought, right? I'm like, that's a healthy, healthy meal. Very healthy fat loss friendly. But you and I both know that she's going to need something later, won't she? Like egg whites with nothing on them and like spinach, like it's fine. Maybe some people can feel satisfied with that. But immediately I thought in my head, that's not going to last. The reason being because you need to add something to that meal to up the satisfaction factor. That could be having some butter on your vegetables, adding a yolk to your eggs. It could be putting a little bit of sprinkle of cheese on the meal. Like there needs to be something adding some bacon on the side. There needs to be something that's a little bit of a nutritional gimme so that when she gets to lunch, she feels good and she makes a healthy choice. And then when she gets to dinner, she feels good and she makes a healthy choice. If I feel deprived in the morning, that directly affects what I choose to have for lunch and dinner that day and even later in the week. Yes. So satisfaction factors is a way to gauge. Like every time you sit down to a meal, on a scale from one to 10, how satisfying is this? And you really want to get as close as you can to a 10. Because remember, satisfaction is not feeling stuffed either. I think that's the thing is some people go, well, I mean, I could feel satisfied eating a dozen donuts. And I'm like, could you really though? Probably not. You know, like I think maybe for a little while, maybe one time you're like, oh, well, Jill said I can have more satisfaction in my meal. I'm going to eat five cupcakes. 
That makes you feel uncomfortable. That makes you feel stuffed and bloated and all that kind of stuff. So satisfaction is not stuffed and it's not deprived. It's right in the middle. And one of the things that I've done with that is really identify for me to choose, and I've been using those with my clients too, to make a healthy food choice. If you have those things in there that are satisfying to you, then it doesn't seem like you're depriving yourself from a secondary option. So for example, who doesn't want macaroni and cheese or pizza or whatever for dinner every night? But if I can have something that has fat in it and has a reasonable amount of protein. So for me, I know like I want fat, protein, salt, and crunch. If I have those things in there, it doesn't matter if I'm having a salad versus pizza. Both are going to satisfy me just as much because I'm getting the things that I really enjoy out of a meal. So it makes it easy to choose a salad or a protein and a vegetable option if I have those things present. And then I don't feel like I'm selling myself short by not indulging in something that's not going to make me feel great after the fact. And so I use that a lot at a restaurant where if my husband is going to get something that's over the top indulgent, fine, he can have that. I don't care. I probably won't choose the same thing, but I'm going to choose something that satisfies me just as much as what is going to satisfy him. And then I always have a bite of his thing if I want it. So, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I use that a lot. And then I don't come from a place of feeling deprived. And I know that when I talk to my clients about that, we talk about that too. Like it shouldn't be that every time you go to a restaurant, you're asking them to bring you like some sort of like baked chicken and steamed vegetables, like go to the restaurant and get something that you like. There's a wide range of how you can do that to feel satisfied at the end without feeling like you just compromised your whole week of work at the gym. Exactly. I think we get this kind of celebratory feeling when we go out to eat because a lot of us don't do that. So maybe we go out once a week. So it has to feel like I need to get my cravings worth or I need to get my junk foods worth or I need to get my, you know, and so again, that's just like that scarcity mindset of like, I'm never going to have this again. And this restaurant has the best cheesecake and like whatever. So we feel like at some point we're not going to be able to get that cheesecake again or whatever that looks like. And so I think operating from that satisfaction factor, again, it's a mindset shift though, isn't it? I think a lot of people say, well, for me, satisfaction is just another word for moderation. It really is. And it's cutting to that middle piece, but this takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? Because someone has to believe that if they have bacon in the morning, even though they feel like they might not need it, right? Like that girl I was talking about, egg whites and spinach, she might be like, I feel great. I don't want to have bacon. But the problem is watch the compensatory reaction later. If you get to lunch or dinner and you're still good and you like can still eat egg whites and spinach and have at it, but most people can't. So the idea is you need to trust that having that bacon is actually going to work for you later. And I think that's where a lot of people run into because they're afraid that they're going to have something now and then they're also going to eat way more later. And for me, that was really the process of like trusting myself that I can still tap into my mindfulness. I can still tap into, I can make a different choice anytime. You know, if I start gaining weight like crazy, look, I can always go back to the crazy dieting. Like if that's, it'll still be there. It's still like, yeah, the egg whites are still going to be there. So the hours of cardio is still going to be there, but why not try a different way first, navigate it, trust yourself enough to figure it out. If your worst case starts to come true, then how do you get back to zero? You know what I mean? You can always change that. And like you said, I love what you said to your clients, having a little bit of satisfaction doesn't mean you're completely derailed. And that's the mindset shift. Cause I think a lot of us feel like that. Right. Can you share a little bit about how you encourage people when they do go into some sort of binge or come off of a weekend where they feel like they were just overly indulgent the whole time? How do you go from there back into the moderate place versus going from the indulgent to the deprivation? You know, like you said, that takes some time. Are there any mindset tricks or self-talk that you have used that you've found to be helpful with navigating that post-binge 
post-indulgent place? Yeah, I think there's two things. Number one is don't let that kind of overindulgence binge go by without asking questions. And it's hard, right? Because we don't like it about ourselves. And so it's hard to go like, let me think about when I ate all those calories last night. Like we don't even want to, like I remember waking up after binges and being like, and literally being like, I don't want to think about that. I don't even think <laughs> about that I was capable of doing that. Right. So just pretend asking, it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. So asking people to go back and like really dissect like the why behind it is really tough, but ultimately that's where you start getting better. So don't be afraid. It doesn't mean anything about you, by the way. I think we take it personally like, oh, I'm not good, right? So I think separating yourself, getting clinical, I always talk about like just getting objective with what happened. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you're never going to get it. it. doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean everyone else is doing it and you're not. Like, So don't make it mean something personal. Try and just get clinical with it. Look at it as if it was like someone else who did it and then go, okay, what was it about? If I was coaching someone on this, what could we, what are some of the questions we could ask? So number one is definitely get curious. And number two is I always go back to the mental image of deprivation on one side overindulgence on the other. And I go, I know that if I feel more deprived, I'm going to rebound and I'm going to binge later. So on Monday morning, yes, I feel gross because I ate all that stuff all weekend. My inclination is going to be to tighten up and do extra cardio and cut my calories because I feel so bad about what I did. But that's the exact wrong thing to do Mm -hmm. because you're going to continue the cycle of deprive them, binge, deprive them, binge, deprive them, binge. So instead, the tool is to navigate the middle. And that's really hard to do when you feel really grossed out (laughs) by yourself. So the idea is, okay, I know even though I want to deprive myself, I want to be on a plan, I want to have the strict meal plan, I know that I have to do some sort of nutritional gimme and I have to trust that because I do that, the binge that I have next weekend is not going to be as bad. And it's one week after one week after one week. And then all of a sudden, like I said, six months from now, a year from now, you're eating the same on Saturday that you are on Monday. Yes, which I love the concept of eating the same on Saturday as you do on Monday. (laughs) And you just addressed the idea of having bad food days and then identifying that as part of your self-identity. And I just want to reference our episode three is all about how to stop having quote unquote bad food days. So Mm -hmm. for people that struggle with that, definitely go back and listen to that episode because I think that you totally hit the nail on the head that when you talk to yourself about food in that way, when you wake up in the morning and you start identifying how your day was before with food, you can't not tie that into your own self-image and how you think of yourself and how you talk to yourself. And I think that it's a really vicious cycle physically and mentally. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So we're getting close to the end of our time. I'm so sad because I feel like we could talk about this for so long. Yes, Next time we have to do this with a glass of wine and it'll take like five times as long. Yeah. So I was recently doing a workout on a treadmill, which most people, I hate working out on treadmills. I love doing treadmill sprints. So I don't run like distance on treadmills, but getting on a treadmill and doing some interval training is super fun. So like sprinting for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and then rest recovery for an equal amount of time, or you can do all sorts of intervals with that or ratios with that. But this is one of my favorite ways to get in really quick cardio. And as I was thinking the other day, like, why don't more people do this? No one talks about doing stuff on treadmills. And literally like the next day you posted something about your new program you have coming up. And so I want you to share a little bit about this because I think it sounds so awesome. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's been a couple of years since I've released a new exercise program. The program I'm releasing, it's on May 3rd and it's called Tread Lift. So it's exactly what it sounds like. It's treadmill kind of short duration, high intensity workouts paired with some weight training stuff. And when I first started Jill Fit, 
oh, like I said, we we're doing so much exercise at the time. I was always mixing it up with sprint. So I was sharing a lot of my workouts early on, on the blog at jillfit.com. I was sharing a lot of my old workouts at that time. And that's kind of how we started with these like kind of kick-ass, like very hardcore workouts. People love them. Like whether it was elliptical or tread or like different, you know, step mill workouts, whatever. So kind of getting back to my roots because I've started, like I was off exercise for a few years, just not like just completely disenchanted with it. Felt like it was a full-time job. Now the last year or so, I really started getting back into it, getting excited about short duration, high intensity workouts. Again, literally I'm always like, how fast can I get in and out of the gym? It's like a game I play with myself. So <laughs> treadlift is all 30 minutes or less workouts. And there's actually three different kinds. So the first is called burn workouts, which are going to be more fat loss centered. There are going to be build workouts, which are more hypertrophy muscle building workouts. And then there are boost workouts, which are more performance based. So if you want to get faster at running or whatever your sport, are going to be a little bit better. So there's three different types and they're all 30 minutes or less. Some are even 20 minutes or even 10 minutes. So super excited about that. A little bit of lifting, a little bit of treadmill interval sprints, incline stuff. All of the workouts are actually an intermediate to advanced level, but I share with people how they can regress them or, you know, go to default if they need to pull it down to their fitness level or increase it to their fitness level. But yeah, super excited. If you don't have a treadmill, can you do the workouts like, you know, doing sprints down the street kind of a thing, or does it need to be on a treadmill? Yeah. It's, so all of the segments are timed. So as long as you have a stopwatch, there's okay. not going to be like a specific like outdoor exercise section, but right, yeah, right. you can always modify can it. Modify. If you have about 200 meters, which is about halfway around a track, okay. you have about 200 meters, you can do it on your own outside. Awesome. And yeah. well, first of all, I work out five to six days a week, first thing in the morning when I get up. And since having my son, my workouts are like 20 to 30 minutes because that's all I have time for. And you can produce a significant amount of sweat in 20 to 30 minutes, which yep. people don't believe until they actually try it. But exactly. You post really fun stuff. I love the way you break down different workouts and they're always fast. And you've posted a few things recently where you're like, here's this upper body thing I did in 11 minutes. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to totally beat her. <laughs> so I'm not sure I've actually beat you, but I definitely have done a number of them. And so everyone should head over if you're looking for workouts, because most of your stuff is with like just a set of dumbbells. You also have yep. had some body weight stuff up, but so much stuff that can be done at home, which is so appropriate for all of our mom listeners. So definitely head over to jillfit.com to check out that stuff. And then will people be able to find the Treadlift program on Jill Fit or will there be a special site for that? Yep. It will be on treadlift.com okay, and cool. that will be again, May 3rd. So there probably won't be anything before May 3rd up there, okay. but yeah, if you guys are friends on social or whatever, I've been posting a lot of kind of beta workouts and stuff like that for people to try. There's a lot of free content up there and especially via email too, if you're on my email list. So yeah, treadlift.com. Awesome. It's all dumbbell based. So for people who are at home, all you need is a set of dumbbells. You can do the whole thing. Awesome. Nice. Okay. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much. I want to just give a second here to let you know how much I appreciate everything that you're putting out there for women, because I think that you're really changing the conversation about food. And I think it's time for us to do that. It's time for that whole vernacular to change. And I think that it will help all of us grow to be a little bit more complete and a little bit more happy. So, and have a little bit more joy around food instead of stress around food. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for joining us on the Shameless Mom Academy today. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. I definitely love this stuff. We'll have to do another one, like a 2.0, but yes, I would love yeah, that. So much for your stuff. So thanks so much for having me, sir. Sure. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. 
As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you listening and I hope you learned a lot today. Like I said, I love that Jill basically has her own language and I hope today you picked up on some things that you can definitely apply to your own life and your own relationship with food. I find that her information has just been invaluable to myself as I've changed my own relationship with food in the last few years and as well for so many of my clients here in Seattle. So if this show has been helpful to you in any way, please feel free to head over to shamelessmom.com forward slash review and leave us a review and let us know what you think. I would love your feedback. I read every single review and I get really excited when I get to wake up to a new one in the morning. So I would love to hear what you have to say. Additionally, you can find us on social media. Yay, we're finally there. So you can find us on Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy, as well as on Facebook at the Shameless Mom Academy. I look forward to connecting with you and hearing what you have to say. And until next time, make sure you get out there and do something today for which you feel 100% shameless. Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking